The manhunt for a mentally ill mass shooter in Maine comes to an end. Plus, BCDL President Philip Van Cleve gives his outlook on the upcoming Virginia elections. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. No, the devil's got no All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of TheReload.com and a CNN contributor. And you can head over to The Reload right now if you want to sign up for our free weekly newsletter and keep up to date with what's going on with guns in America. We send you one email a week that gives you all the best stories, uh, stuff you won't find anywhere else. And if you want to take a deeper dive than that, you can also buy a membership, which is how we fund ourselves here at The Reload. And uh, that's what helps keep us going. It also gives you access to exclusive content, uh, analysis pieces, uh, early access to this podcast, the opportunity to appear on the podcast, the member segment, and all sorts of other things. So head over and check out those options today. This week, we are just taking a look at the Virginia elections. I know uh, if you don't live in Virginia, you might have forgotten that Virginia has off-year off elections. We, we do things. I'm in Virginia, up in the... Uh, Northern Virginia and Alexandria, um, and we do our elections uh, different years than everybody else does. Uh, so we we are having our election coming up next month. Then uh, it will decide control of the state legislature. The entire body is up for election. The governor's not up, but the House and Senate are both completely up. So uh, pretty big election with a lot of consequences, most likely for gun policy in the state, which is why I have have with us today the president of the Virginia Citizens Defense League, which is one of the major gun rights groups here in Virginia, uh, Philip Van Cleve. Welcome to the show, Philip. Thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. Can you tell people a little bit more about VCDL? Yeah, the Virginia Citizens Defense League uh, was founded back in late 1994, back when Virginia was what was called a May issue state, where a judge could turn you down for a concealed carry permit for whatever reason he chose. Uh, some people wouldn't were given permits because they were women. Some weren't given them because men, only women needed guns. It was a hodgepodge. We said, bad enough, you got to ask permission to carry a gun, considering the Second Amendment's out there. So we formed to fix that. In the first year, in 1995, we got the law changed to be a shall issue state where they have to give you a permit. And uh, we so we 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 get bills introduced every year uh, supporting the right to keep and bear arms. We kill the gun bills as best we can. And usually we're very successful at that, except for 2020 and 2021, where we managed to, to mute the bills, but not stop them. Um, and we're also a watchdog looking out for uh, localities, for example, violating state law by putting up gun bans that they can't legally have, things like that. Um, and uh, we also educate our members to make sure that they're aware of all the gun laws and what's going on around them so that we can be a successful grassroots organization. Right. And uh, speaking of 2020, that's that may be for people who don't follow Virginia politics closely, uh, an event where they may have actually heard of VCDL because you guys organized the massive protest in Richmond during that session, um, which which did apply a lot of pressure to the legislature did, and did and uh, probably ended up getting rid of the assault weapons ban that had been proposed. Um, but as you mentioned, uh, a number of policies did get through universal background checks, uh, red flag laws made it through in that session. Republicans have since 
taking back the governor's uh, mansion with Glenn Youngkin. I'm sure a lot of people uh, have heard of him at the very least. If you even if you don't follow Virginia politics, as is a, a well-known Republican at this point, um, and they they have control of the House of Delegates as well, but not the Senate right now. So you've got a split legislature right. at this point, which means yeah, that have- gun policy hasn't moved much uh, since 2021, right? Right. You know, we, we do have the attorney, uh, the, uh, the also the attorney general and the lieutenant governor right. positions. Now, lieutenant governor could influence a tie in the in the Senate, but we didn't have any ties she could break uh, recently. But she was because uh, the Senate, broken. the Senate's at two, a two vote majority for Democrats right now. Correct? Right now it is. Yes. And so uh, this election is pretty high stakes then. And, you know, this, these these margins are pretty razor thin at this point. I think Republicans have a four-seat majority in the the state yeah. house, and then Democrats have a two-seat majority. The governor's not going to change, so Republicans will retain that uh, for now the, until the next um, gubernatorial election in two years. But uh, that means the outcome of this election could could be pretty significant, correct? Oh, absolutely. This could uh, this could allow us if it goes well. To repeal and roll back all these all the bad stuff that happened in 2020 and 2021, um, especially one of the things that people hate the most in Virginia is local gun control. Uh, we yes, had strong not- preemption before 2020, and uh, that got weakened. And so, 17 localities in Virginia now have their own local gun control. They're banning guns in parks and recreation centers and government buildings and permitted events. Um, and yeah. uh, we, by the way, we sued one of those localities and they lost over parks and permitted events. But uh, that's a long battle. It's better to just repeal that law and put it back the way it was in 2019. And we'll definitely get to more of those policy uh, changes that you foresee on either side of the outcome of this election. But first, let's look at the election itself. Right. we got razor thin margins. There's going to be a couple of races that ultimately decide control of the state legislature, I'd imagine. So what are the, what are the key races for you guys? Who are you, which races are you looking at as the deciders? Well, there, there's, there are several. Uh, one is uh, Senate District 1. Most of the races we're concerned with are in the Senate. We think that's going to, that's the area where we really need to um, tighten up and get, get a majority in that Senate. Um, so, um, that's that's one. There's a, another one that we're watching. Is it, that's in Northern Virginia? Uh, another one that we're watching is sort of in the Tidewater area, and that's uh, the 24th Senate District uh, between Danny Diggs, who used to be a, the sheriff of that of York County, and then uh, Monty Mason, who's uh, currently in the General Assembly, who's a Democrat. Um, and uh, Danny Diggs has always been very solid on guns, so that's a that's a race that we're watching to see what will happen there. Okay, um, so so those are some of your key races. Spot. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, and so really, you know, it really is going to come down to just a couple of these these Senate seats, really. Yeah, there's like four four of them that we're watching carefully, but. Uh, you just never know with these elections. And the, the problem is people don't take these off-year elections uh, seriously as they should. Um, you know, oh, if the president's not being elected, then why do we need to show up? Well, 
boy, you better show up. It's a lot right. at stake here. Yeah, certainly. Uh, you know, there were just a couple of polls that that came out this month about the uh, not these specific races, but the race overall um, that looked at issue prominence and uh, guns have ranked fairly high. Uh, the Washington Post had a poll that came out. I think they were fourth in that poll as far as issues go, you know, behind things like the economy and inflation. And um, but I think actually the Washington Post had it above abortion, which is a bit surprising. But uh, I think CNU is uh, the uh, the Wilson Center. They had a poll as well with similar findings of, um, you know, in terms of issue importance, it's not the top issue in the race, but it's one of the top issues, I, I would think you could fairly say. Um, so it does seem like gun policy is going to be a significant part of the, this equation here. Do you, do you, are you feeling that on the ground? Yeah, I am. Gun owners are fed up with uh, all the bad stuff that we've been dealing with for, for several years now. And uh, I think that uh, they're hopefully they're going to be motivated to get out and let's get this thing fixed. If you look at the elections that happened um, for the House when it was up a couple of years ago, that took the, the House was taken away from the Democrats. They controlled the House and the Senate in 2019, 2020 and 2021. The House was taken away. The Senate wasn't up. So there's no way to, to rate what would have happened had the Senate been up as well like we, it is this year. So I think that's an interesting indicator there probably of, of uh, the sentiment uh, on, on this issue. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting point, right? You had a lot of energy, obviously grassroots energy, back in 2020. Um, you know, it feels like a lifetime ago because that was like one of the last big political things before COVID happened. But um, you know, you had a lot of, of grassroots energy, and it did seem to turn into electoral success for Republicans at the time. But it has been several years now. Do you think that energy is going to remain? That's uh, that's what's hard to predict. Uh, I think to some degree, there's a lot of lethargy in the state, um, but it seems to be everywhere. I don't know if it's uh, all the people went through with COVID that uh, I don't know what it is, but uh, we're hoping that, that gun owners stay as motivated in in 2023 as they were a couple of years ago uh, to mm -hmm. try to get things turned around. Uh, the Washington Post poll does have Republicans winning on this issue uh, by a, a slim margin, but they do have them ahead uh, on on gun policy, who voters trust to handle gun policy better. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, it, it does seem that perhaps that that uh, displeasure at those reforms that were passed in 2020 does remain, uh, at least uh, from that one poll. And you don't want to draw too much to it from a single poll, but. Uh, yeah. You don't get a whole lot of polling in, in these sorts of state races. So you kind of got to work with what you got. Um, how how are you uh, on the ground? What are some of the actions that you guys are taking with BCL, with the PAC that you guys have um, to try and, uh, you know, up that enthusiasm? Yeah, well, uh, the the PAC has done, uh, I mean, has now gotten involved in not only the, the uh uh, legislate the the general assembly, but also local things that involve guns. So uh, your your city councils, town councils, uh, things of that nature, um, and they've been made a big push to do a lot of endorsements all the way around to get people out to the polls to vote in all these elections, even school boards, because they now can control gun policy to some degree on their own property. Uh, VCDL has been pushing vote, vote, vote. 
Uh, it's something we've been pushing over and over and over uh, and will continue to push till the election's over. We've been saying, you know, uh, well, a lot of people don't like this early voting where there's a 45 days to vote as opposed to an election day. We've pointed out to our members that, nope, if that's the way it is, then we need to take advantage of it. We need to use that change in law to our advantage by turning, by getting out early and getting our votes locked down uh, and not waiting till the, the day of the election when who knows another COVID outbreak could start and the polls are shut down or whatever. Vote now while you can. Uh, well, you never know. You could be sick on that day. You could be out of town. So we're, we're really pushing that, trying to get people to vote early. And many of them aren't used to it, but I think they'll get used to it. Okay. And and what are you seeing from other gun groups both on either side? You know, I, I, every town has announced they're going to be spending significantly again in this, this election cycle. I don't know if they're going to get back to the levels they were in, in 2019, but uh, they've already announced, I think, a $1.1 million ad buy in a house race. Um that with you know that includes advertising and and uh, I believe get out the vote effort. So what what have you seen from from uh, the gun control groups to this point? Well, all I've seen on on like local television is uh, the the um, uh, gun gun control being mentioned by the by the Democrats is is one of the many issues. They don't tend to just focus on that, um, but. Uh, I uh, I haven't seen a whole lot on the ground from them, but I'm sure this this the ads are probably waiting shortly before you know, closer to the elections to really come out in force. Um, yeah, they've got a lot of money behind them. They I don't know if they have a strong grassroots base at all. We we consider it astroturf, but they have money, and with that you can buy a lot of things. Sure. Uh, how does it compare what you've seen so far to? to 2019 when they, I believe they were making record investments in yeah. trying to elect Democrats. Well, you haven't seen that kind of stuff. In 2019, you actually had the governor coming out and saying, well, you know, we're thinking about confiscating AR-15s and we're definitely thinking about banning them and blah, blah, blah. Uh, you don't, you know, you don't hear that, that sort of strong rhetoric. What you typically hear is, oh, uh, this candidate uh, is a MAGA candidate and, uh, has, has voted, uh, you know, to um, whatever they come up with, whatever some kind of a vote thing, but it's it's not nearly as strong as it was in 2019. Hmm. Okay. And uh, what about other gun rights groups? Uh, obviously, there's been a lot going on with the NRA over the last couple yeah. of years. Have you? Uh, they they recently posted on uh, their Institute for Legislative Action page that they're doing grab, sort of grassroots efforts, door knocking, things like that. Have you seen a difference in their uh, availability, the resources that they have uh, at their well, disposal I, I for know this that, race? I know that we've, uh, you know, I've personally seen postcards from them encouraging early voting and and endorsing in our in the case where I live, Glenn Sturdivant. Uh, and I believe our PAC has endorsed him as well. But uh, yeah, they've been pushing the early voting, apparently. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned at all uh, about what, any lack of resource? Like, what are your major concerns going into this election? Uh, you know, do do you see the same level of uh, of financial resources on the the gun rights side that you're used to? Or are you seeing the same level of grassroots, uh, you know, door knocking and things of that nature? Are you guys able to produce that same level that you've had in years past? 
Uh, actually, well, maybe years past, but not not matching what happened in you know twenty nineteen. And, Is that and just that, because twenty nineteen was a gubernatorial election, and this is? It, I think a, that, again that the, the strong push for gun control by the governor back then really lit up gun rights, you know, gun owners, and so the pack had very large contributions coming in. Uh, this year, it seems to be that all the various organizations that are um, like gun rights and some of the others that are all, I would say, I don't want to say we're a conservative organization, but that does tend to be where most of your support comes from. Um, sure. That a lot of the organizations are vying for the same money from the same people. So you're not seeing money at the same level that we saw back in 2019. So we don't have the same resources. We have less resources right now than we had in 2019. Of course, our main resources is DCDL is our membership, getting out and getting them to vote, getting them to call, send emails, things like that. Right. And uh, do you think that and you're seeing a, a bit less of that compared to 2019, at least you think that's just sort of uh, the complacency? You know, the assault weapons ban didn't happen. That was sort of the big thing everybody was really concerned about, although obviously people were concerned about the other you know, red flag law and, and so oh, yeah. forth well, as well. I mean, but... Some of the crazy things that, that uh, you know, I've had to, uh, I've noticed out there is that people would be saying, well, we got a Republican governor. Yeah. And just sort of like, oh, okay, we're good now. We don't have to do anything. That's my biggest fear is that uh, all of those people aren't going to wake up and say, yeah, but wait a minute, you know, we can't do anything unless we have a trifecta of the House right. and the Senate and the governor. Uh, but it's amazing how many people just take that attitude of, well, you know, uh, it's not just stopping bad stuff, it's rolling back the bad stuff that we got, you know, we've had, you know, got on the books since 2020. And a lot of it definitely needs to get rolled back. Hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, speaking of which, let's look forward a bit uh, past the election. Let's look at the two outcomes here. Either you're going to have um, divided government again because Republicans weren't able to capture those Senate seats or even Democrats were able to take back the House or what have you, uh, but Republicans retain control of the governorship or you'll have a trifecta. Now, um, in the first scenario, that seems like it's probably pretty straightforward and it's going to be pretty similar to how things have been going, which is not much done in the way of gun policy, right? Is that your expectation in that scenario? Yeah, pretty much. If if it's not a trifecta, then we're going to be at a stalemate. Uh, we should be able to block gun control, but uh, we shouldn't. We won't be able to roll back much of any significance. Uh, and, and that happens, our efforts are going to shift to the courts to go after okay. these a lot of these laws on constitutionality and just knock out a lot of the bad stuff from the court system. So we won't be dead in the water completely. But a far better way to handle this is through the legislature. That's right. way better. And that's why it would be very disappointing if we don't get a trifecta. Right. Okay. And then if you do get the Republican trifecta, what, what do you think is realistic in terms of uh, how gun policy would flow from there? I think, uh, you know, I think they, the, the General Assembly, uh, the Republican General Assembly and the pro-gun side understands how hated local, not having preemption at the local government level is. 
not being able to carry in state agencies like uh, the ABC store or DMV or even the General Assembly. Well, we've historically always been able to carry there until 2020 and 2021. And uh, and now, you know, up, to, up through now, we'd like to see that reverse. Red flag laws up there as well. Now, because of that huge turnout in 2020, we did manage to, to really get the other side to backpedal on gun control quite a bit. As far as red flag laws go, Virginia's is probably the least egregious in the country. Uh, because of the criteria in there, but it's still egregious. <laughs> it's least egregious, it's less egregious, but it's still egregious. So we'll, that's high up on the list to repeal red flag. Uh, we have laws already to take care of the issue of what happens if somebody has you know, a mental health crisis uh, and controlling their access to guns or any such a thing. Hmm. And uh, something like the, the one gun a month Restriction, yes. you think one gun a month? I mean, our list is actually quite long, but at the top of the list were the the things I listed: uh, local gun control, um, the uh, um, uh, government, state agency buildings, and so forth. Red flag laws. Yeah, one gun a month is another thing that gets people in trouble all the time because they don't uh, they don't you know you don't know when you last bought a gun. A lot of times you don't mean any harm, but uh, yeah, or you want to buy two guns. Now you can't. You know, you found uh, the perfect gun and you want to buy a backup for it or you, you see two perfect guns. Uh, you, you know, so uh, a lot of people don't know that their permit exempts them from that either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then obviously there's also the universal background check yeah, law. Oh, yeah. Do you see that being something that could really yeah, very much? I see something happening there because we've already have a, a in the courts in Virginia now, VCDL managed to get a stay on on uh, 18 to 20 year olds buying handguns being exempt. We got that exemption in. Uh, we've got a stay against it being enforced against them because uh, the judge agreed it was unconstitutional. Uh, somebody 18 to 20 could there be no legal way for them in any way, shape, or form to get a handgun um, to purchase one, even in a private sale. You can't buy one from a dealer. That's federal law. But federal law allows you to get a gun as a, as a, from a parent or a friend, anybody that's uh, a third party. And this would have blocked that because everything would have had to go through the gun dealer. And under federal law, the gun dealer would have to say, sorry, I, I, I can't do the transfer. So we got that exempted. Um, uh, we're waiting for the we actually brought up the whole universal background check in that lawsuit. So we're waiting for that to shape up. But I suspect that that's another one that we're going to be able to either amend or, or get rid of. Interesting. Just because, yeah, you know, obviously, if you get a majority, it'll probably be a pretty thin majority in, in both houses. And Youngkin himself is a fairly moderate Republican. Uh, I don't know that he's really spoken very much on this issue. I, I mean, perhaps you could enlighten us, I guess, a little more on where where you see Glenn Youngkin going with all this. Do you think he would actually sign the repeal of a red flag or Universal background check, Bill? Well, you know, he's really um, an unknown because he's not been tested on any of this stuff. Um, he's spoken pro-gun about things. I've not heard, heard him talking about any gun control. So, uh, but he's untested, to be fair. I mean, it, it's possible, but I think it would be unlikely that he would veto something like that. But uh, it's, it's all, it is, a, you can never rule it out. But again, yeah. um, the Bruin ruling um, 
is something that we're going to be using quite a bit. If something's unconstitutional, it's, it's unconstitutional. I certainly would hope he would uh, back anything that's clearly unconstitutional. And you think that'll be helpful when you're uh, sort of lobbying these these lawmakers, uh, if you do get even sort of more republic or more uh, moderate Republicans into these some of these seats, uh, sure. you think that perhaps Bruin will help you? Uh, we've we've got you know, the win with them. city of Winchester, uh, and we're going to be going after some more localities. The uh, the board has approved suing some more lawsuits going out there. So at least one other city in the near future is going to be uh, is going to find themselves in the hot seat over parks and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And you think those lawsuits will help you in the legislature as well? Yes, because now you've got judges confirming that, yeah, this is unconstitutional. Let's go ahead and get it off the books. Let's not have unconstitutional laws on Virginia's books, which will only confuse citizens and maybe get the government sued and paying a lot of money when it, it shouldn't have been in the position to uh, to make that kind of mistake. Hmm. Interesting. And, you know, I, I, I wanted to get your take on this real quick because, uh, you know, Virginia has this, this, this sort of reputation because we have these off-year elections. I think New Jersey has them as well, um, but not many states do, uh, that oftentimes Virginia's elections can be viewed as a bellwether for the current president uh, because they're, they're, they're kind of uh, taken as a reflection on the president, how the president's doing, and, and often the opposing party will do well in Virginia elections. Um, and, and uh, you know, do you, do you think that holds for this sort of election? That usually gets talked about a lot with the gubernatorial elections and, you know, who, who Virginia elects its governor, but, um, you know, we don't have the governor up for election this time. We have the entire legislature, which is significant, but um, do you think that trend will still hold? Do you think that's a valid view, the way of looking at this from a national standpoint, these, uh, you know, state elections as a referendum kind of on Joe Biden? I think it's a referendum on the policies of the gun control crowd. And in this case, the Democrats is what the referendum is going to be on. Um, I think uh, gun owners will be looking at their gun rights and what's happening to that, to the increasing threat of illegal immigration coming in and what may be coming with them when we look at what happened in Israel. Um, I think people are very much concerned about their their security right now. And so it's going to be, I believe it's going to be a referendum on not only the Virginia legislature and what what it's done in the past and what we needed to do, but what's going on federally, Uh, the assault on our rights generally and the the violence that we're seeing uh, coming around various parts of the country. I haven't seen much in Virginia. And maybe that's because here a lot of over 750,000 people have concealed carry permits, but um, it could it could visit us at any time. And uh, so I think I, I think overall it's, it's a blend of the two. It's going to be an overall okay. referendum on everything. That's interesting. Yeah. So so you, you see it both as people reacting to, um, you know, especially with gun policy to what Democrats passed in 2020 but also as uh, kind of a barometer of how they're feeling about about the president as well, who's also obviously been a very staunch uh, gun control advocate whose approval ratings are not very good at this point. Um, I mean, that's so I mean, are you uh, does that make you confident about the outcome of this election? Then, Well, you can never be confident. I've, uh, 
I remember uh, the, the talk of some massive red wave that was supposed to happen last election in Virginia, and it, it didn't happen. So you can never be overly confident about uh, about these things. But it certainly doesn't hurt that, yeah. uh, in a way, um, the, the president's overplayed his hand by quite a bit and continues to overplay his hand. And when you do that, uh, on the gun control side, overplaying their hand, it, it definitely helps uh, keep gun owners awake and alert and angry and fuel to fix this. Okay, interesting. Well, so uh, if people want to find out more about BCDL and what you guys are, are doing, your advocacy, uh, where can they do that? Yeah, sure. Uh, our website is is VCDL. That's as in Virginia Citizens Defense League, VCDL.org. Uh, there you can go up, you can join, you can uh, donate if you wish. You can learn about Virginia's gun laws. You can see the candidate surveys. We survey all the candidates. You can see how they did in their surveys, whether it was pro-gun or anti-gun or whatever. Um, uh, you can see how the General Assembly votes. We rank our General Assembly members by every vote they take on guns. Um, all kinds of good information up there. Uh, so, yeah, feel free to visit. We're also on social media. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, we're on all, all, almost all every platform out there. We've got some some representation. Mm. And uh, do you guys have any events coming up soon? Um, for us, the big event that's coming up will be in January. That's the big one. That's that's going to be our lobby day. It's lobby day. That's again, that was when that massive uh, over 50,000 people showed up uh, in Richmond uh, in 2020. It's always on the third Monday in January, which happens to be Martin Luther King Day. Um, and that's and it, it's uh, this year we're going to do our rally at 10 o'clock instead of 11. But, um, you know, we really want as many people as possible to come to Richmond and stand with us uh, and, and lobby the General Assembly. and Let's get this stuff fixed. And I guess that's one of the other things you might uh, try to address in, uh, if Republicans retake control, because then they ban they ban guns from like the whole Capitol complex. Didn't they? Yes, they did. And that would be one of the things we would expect to, to be changed as soon as possible. The Dem it's like the Democrats knew they were going to lose. They'd done a lot of this stuff through the governor, uh, Northam. He had put up executive orders banning guns here and banning guns there. But in 2020, they codified that into law. So now certain now things can only be undone in the General yeah. Assembly and not by policy. Yeah. All right. Well, we appreciate you coming on. We'll, we'll have to have you on again uh, down the line, maybe get an election recap or something like that. Sure. Um, just to judge how you guys uh, and saw the maybe. election come out. But, but uh, yeah, we... During the General Assembly, too. It'd be a good time. Yeah. Talk about what's happening, what bills are in there, and what we're doing about them. Yeah, certainly, because uh, that's an, that's a story we will we will definitely be following, along with many other uh, gun legislation stories in many other states. Um, obviously, these ones kind of personally affect me because I yeah. live in Virginia. But uh, and me. but uh, you know, I try to I try to prioritize all of the the stories that sure. could be um, you know interesting to a national audience. And I do think that Virginia has a, some unique features about it that do make it particularly interesting beyond my own inability to carry at the uh, uh, the park in Alex, you know, down the street in Alexandria where I live. So um, uh, I do appreciate you coming on and, and uh, giving us the lay of the land as you see it in the Virginia elections. 
we are going to head over to our news update now. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the weekly news update. I'm contributing writer Jake Fogelman, joined as always by Reload founder Stephen Gutowski. How are we doing, Steve? Oh, I'm a little bit disheveled. Anyone watching on YouTube is probably going to notice that we look different than uh, in the, the second half of our news update today because, uh, well, we had breaking news in the mass shooting story up in Maine and, and the manhunt there, uh, which has now concluded. Uh, the shooter has been found uh, dead by a self-inflicted gunshot wound, according to CNN. And so um, we wanted to make sure that we came back and re-recorded uh, with some of the, these important latest details that weren't available when we initially recorded this. So, uh, you know, in the meantime, I changed my brakes and I probably don't look uh, as as uh, fresh as I did uh, when we recorded the second half of this, uh, because I'm not. I'm very tired. <laughs> doing the car work is always um, one of those things where it's like, oh, this, you know, it's not that hard to change brake pads. Um, it's easier than doing your oil change most of the time. Uh, but you get halfway through and it's always little things and and you forget how old you are and uh, it starts, you start to wonder if the time that you spent doing the job is worth the money that you saved. Uh, but those labor costs are, are really uh, jumping up there lately at the at car shop. So I, I don't know. I, I like to think so, but I also bought, you know, flyers merch today after watching the Phillies implode. So there's something wrong with my decision making. Uh, so your judgment process. is clearly <laughs> needs to be questioned. Yeah, it's, maybe don't follow my lead on some of these things. Uh, but yeah, so this, you know, a lot happened. I've been very busy with CNN as well, talking about this, uh, this story, uh, this, this terrible shooting in Maine, 18 people dead, um, 13 wounded. And then, of course, this guy went on the run. Um, we had done some reporting on this. Uh, about his his background, and you have a member's piece on on how he may have uh, avoided having his guns taken from him, um, given that he was hearing voices, according to family members, and that he had been committed over the summer. Um, we have learned also recently from CNN, uh, well, actually, this one's from Bearing Arms, I believe, that they uh, th that he was a prohibited person, um, likely because of that mental health commitment. And and also that uh, CNN has reported that he bought his guns before that mental health commitment. So probably before he became prohibited. Um, but we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. The big update is that he he has been found uh, dead. And so the threat is over, which is which is good news uh, for anyone living in Maine. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that it didn't drag on because it obviously had the potential to to drag out for much longer and have people uh, living through just an awful state of, of stress and fear. Uh, very similar to what, what I went to through a couple weeks back, as we talked about it on the show, when there was the escape murder in Pennsylvania that ended up right near my mother's farm. So uh, I'm glad that, that that part of this is over for everyone else uh, up in Maine. Yeah, no, certainly uh, it was definitely a harrowing situation. They, they, from what we've seen from reports, they almost locked the, the town down, the community down. Uh, there were several nights, at least last night, where they were, uh, you know, calling out to people's homes in a separate uh, city where they believed his family lived or where his family was from. And so clearly it was just an anxiety-inducing, nerve-wracking ordeal for the last, you know, 48 hours or whatever it's been. Um, and we're thankful that no one else was harmed uh, in, in finding this guy. Yeah. 
and no officers Absolutely. were harmed. And, and, and thankfully that, that part's all over. That, that is the most important part of that manhunt uh, aspect of the story that, that no one else was harmed uh, after he carried out his, his terrible attack to begin with. Um, uh, you know, and, and he had a rifle, you know, he, he could have, uh, that was one of the big fears with the Pennsylvania uh, convict who escaped that he eventually found a, a way to get a rifle and, and that gave him the ability to, uh, to hurt someone from distance. Right. And this, you know, in the Pennsylvania case, that was a 22 rifle. So it's a less powerful firearm uh, with, with less capability. And in this case, it was an AR-15, a 308 actually uh, turned out um, from the latest reporting at CNN as well. So that's, that's a firearm that's capable of, of, you know, significant distance shooting, uh, you know, commonly used for, uh, deer hunting, things of that nature. So, um, you know, it, it's something that that cartridge is commonly used for, for deer hunting, but, but it's something that is, um, that adds a level of, of concern to the whole situation. And there were reports that he was some sort of firearms instructor. The military said he was not a military firearms instructor. So, uh, we updated our piece on that point because the initial police bulletin claimed he was a military firearms instructor. Whether he was a, some sort of civilian firearms instructor is unclear still, but but the indication was that he was trained and he had a very uh, capable firearm, a rifle that can can reach out the distance. So it's, it was an added layer of concern for anyone in the area. And now, thankfully, that that concern can be lifted. Um, and unfortunately, they are still left to grieve for the, the terrible situation. I mean, this is 18 people killed in a state where they have 20 to 25 murders a year. So one incident um, has has put them uh, near their yearly total, which is uh, very hard to comprehend, I think, if you're not from Maine. Uh, and, and so, you know, our, our, our hearts, our prayers go out to them for sure. Um, but I do I do want to also talk about why this shooting should have been prevented. Right. You wrote a piece on this uh, for members where you looked at both the federal law on uh, mental health commitments and firearms, as well as Maine's version of the red flag law, which has gotten some criticism uh, in the wake of this attack. But can you just walk us through those details of uh, why this guy very likely should have been prevented from having these firearms that he used? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as you pointed out at the, at the top of the show, I wrote this piece before we actually got news confirmation that he was in fact listed as a prohibited person. At least the state police had him listed as a prohibited uh, possessor. Um, but mm -hmm. from from the details that we did know, uh, for example, from that bulletin that you mentioned um, and confirmation later from the Associated Press that he was in fact committed to a mental institution for at least two weeks uh, earlier this summer, it sounds like in July. By the police uh, so, too, right? But yeah, by the police, that was actually confirmed by an anonymous source that was not authorized to speak. So um, divulged that the state police had actually escorted him to this mental facility after he was acting erratically during some uh, training with his Army Reserve unit. And so federal law, uh, one of the prohibiting uh, offenses under federal law is whether you've been either A, adjudicated mentally deficient by a, a judge, or B, involuntarily committed to a mental institution. And that right. is a lifetime prohibition on even being able to possess firearms. You can't purchase firearms. Um, so th that right there is just a, a permanent um, prohibiting offense or prohibiting category. Yeah. 
And I, I think it's important to emphasize this point because for whatever reason in media and online, and um, you're seeing this a lot from the, the gun control groups as well, their main focus on the mental health aspect of this has been on red flag laws, I guess, because people have heard of these in recent years. They've been uh, in the spotlight and uh, they've been sold, you know, uh, advocated for as uh, a mental health response mechanism to take someone's guns away. But the thing is that that's a temporary order. It only lasts for up to a year. Um, and I guess a lot of people aren't as aware of the federal prohibition for anyone who's been involuntarily committed, which as you mentioned there is a lifetime prohibition. So uh, I don't know why there's so much focus on the red flag aspect of this, although I'm, you can give us the rundown of how it works in Maine and, and whether it would have could have applied here. But um, because the bigger question is the involuntary commitment. I mean, that matters much more because it means you will never be able to buy, own a firearm and you aren't even allowed to possess them uh, for the rest of your life. So that that's um, that's a much more severe restriction than even a red flag law can can provide. And it's also one that has been on the books for decades. Right. Um, and is really fairly uncontroversial. Uh, you know, there, there, I'm sure there's some concerns like with a lot of these lifetime prohibitions over, you know, the potential to have your rights restored if you are uh, able to be re rehabilitated. Uh, this is something that comes up with felon in possession laws and a lot of these uh, prohibited person categories. But uh, but for the most part, it, it's something that everybody agrees on, that somebody who is hearing voices that has made threats to uh, against uh, their military installation that they served at, uh, now, he was in the Army Reserves. He was never deployed uh, in combat. That's an important point to make. But but he had, he had apparently made threats on on base. And so that kind of person, I think it's uh, almost universally agreed, should not have firearms. Um, and, and so, you know, you're talking about this area of law that is well established and should have been able to prevent this attack, but but didn't. Uh, but, you know, in, a lot of the focus has been on these red flag laws and Maine's version of it that is uh, people that's different enough that people call it a yellow flag law. Can you just walk us through what what it is and why it's different? Yeah. So like you said, it's called a yellow flag law to kind of differentiate it. I don't know that it's really all that different from actual red flag laws. So the big the big key distinction is Maine's law is limited to uh, only law enforcement officers can initiate it. Um, other red flag statutes usually will allow law enforcement and family members is usually the bare minimum. And then some are much more uh, permissive and who they allow to initiate. But Maine is only law enforcement. And then the other big distinction that's unique to Maine's is that before the, the matter can even be petitioned to a judge, um, police that initiate this proceeding have to take the person into protective custody and then bring them to have a professional medical evaluation of their mental state. And then that mental, that professional medical person will then either A, sign off or say, no, I don't want to initiate this proceeding. And then they take it to a judge. And then it's pretty much the same as it is with every other red flag statute where they uh, issue a, a confiscation order. Right. Um, and so it sounds pretty similar. There's uh, maybe one more layer of, I guess, due process protections, honestly, uh, involved. But in this case, it sure seems like if somebody had wanted to uh, use that law in this situation, they could have, right? Yeah. And, th and that's the, the case I kind of make in my piece is that from the details that we do know, from the reporting we do have, that certainly sounds like every component of that yellow flag law was met along the way where you have uh, apparently the state police were the ones that took him 
A, and then B, to a mental facility where he was, I guess, committed for a period of two weeks. So clearly some sort of mental health evaluation was done over this time period. And that's the criteria right there for the yellow flag law. So it just sounds like it just never was. I don't know if the police just decided against initiating one or if they, it didn't come to mind, but it certainly sounds like the criteria was met. So I think a lot of the criticisms of Maine's law maybe are a little unfounded in, in this instance, um, at least what we know so far, because it certainly sounds like uh, this conduct would be covered under Maine's yellow flag statute. Yeah, it feels like it, this should have been covered in multiple ways, right? Yeah. I mean, the main one being the federal statute that makes involuntary commitments a, a, a prohibitory offense for life. And, uh, and that, that could that very well be like the top one. And that could very well be why he was listed under the state police's database as a, a prohibited person. We don't know for sure it's, whether the link is confirmed yet, but it certainly seems yeah, like it. Yeah. And, you know, we're still in initial reports phase. These are sources, uh, you know, giving some detail to to CNN reporters, which, you know, I, I trust is true. But but you're like you said, it's still still early and we don't have official word on these things yet. Um, but it, all that sure seems to line up to you would suspect uh, that he was prohibited because of this commitment that he experienced. Um, now, you know, there's, I mean, there's lots of questions around this beyond just whether, why he was why his guns weren't uh, taken away. I mean, it does seem like perhaps that's the most uh, probable situation. Again, we don't know for sure. And we don't like to speculate too much, but it does seem the most probable thing that happened here is became prohibited, but um, either there was a breakdown in some sort of communication between the, the federal uh, background check system and state authorities or, or what have you. Um, and, or just that local and state authorities didn't follow up to actually confiscate firearms. Cause it's one thing for somebody to be prohibited for the possession of guns to be illegal for them. And it's another thing to actually follow through and take whatever firearms they might have away from them. Uh, that isn't, that it's another issue altogether. Uh, if you're going to have a, the, the system, as it's currently designed to function properly, there has to be that follow through on the local end. Like uh, somebody has to actually go and interact, which is a, to be fair, is a very dangerous thing. You know, taking someone's firearms away because they have been found to be incompetent or they've been voluntarily committed or for whatever reason, you know, that if they're a criminal, you know, if the convicted felon who's, who's, Experience, who's been convicted of a, a violent felony, something like that. It can be very dangerous to try and take guns away from somebody like that, obviously. But it's essential, right, to prevent situations like this. And unfortunately, it seems it didn't happen here. And now, uh, you know, 18 people are dead. So, um, you know, that, that is the latest information we have as of, as of this point, um, Friday night. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll keep you guys updated as if anything more comes out, we'll, we'll obviously be staying on top of, of this story as best we can. Um, but we wanted to make sure that we got on and, and re-recorded this to uh, just to get these three big pieces of news out that, uh, that broke, you know, in the period after we, we initially recorded. So, uh, but we're going to head right on back to old Jake and old Steve for the, right. yeah. uh, the rest of the news update now. Uh, so thank you guys. What, what else we have going on this week? I know it was a pretty busy week. Uh, yeah, news wise. Absolutely. So uh, some of the links that we have in the newsletter, the weekly newsletter, uh, we have an interesting, another interesting piece from Jeff Asher over at his Substack. stack. Uh, this time he's taking a look at the ATF's uh, crime trace, trace data that they released. I guess they quietly released it. He makes a point that they very quietly released it this year. 
Um, and, you know, he makes a point that it's fairly incomplete. They don't go into a lot of granularity, which is fairly common with these crime trace reports. But the top line that he took away is that the amount of crime guns that they recovered for 2022 is actually up 10 percent and that the time to crime, uh, which is uh, the, the time time that they trace from when a gun was legally purchased to when it was recovered in a crime is on a multi-year downward slope. So it used to average over 10 years and now we're hovering at around six years for time to crime. So those are yeah. some of the two Although interesting it went, takeaways. It went back up. Uh, it ticked up slightly. In 2022. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, which is kind of odd. Uh, I mean, there's a lot. His piece is really interesting. And um, I think there's a lot of good data in there. Uh, but also it's hard to draw concrete conclusions from it other than, you know, a few things like we've seen a lot more guns recovered by the FBI. Of course, the FBI or sorry, the, the ATF also has a disclaimer that not every recovered and traced gun not every traced gun is actually used in a crime and not every crime gun is recovered and traced. So, uh, you know, there, there's some limitations to this data to begin with, but yeah, I mean, it's been interesting to see the number of guns increase significantly over the past 10 years that they've recovered. Um, you know, it, that sort of in line because the 2022 is a little bit behind uh, you know, where, where we are right now. Uh, although 2022, you know, the FBI found that that murder decreased significantly, right? One of the most significant decreases in murder uh, in a long time. And it was like 6%. And so it's odd to see guns still be re being recovered at a higher rate, that, that they didn't see a drop off in crime gun tracing during that time period when you saw a significant decline in murder. Um, because most murders are committed with firearms in the United States. Not all of them, of course, but most of them are. And, um, you know, so that's a bit odd. Uh, <clears throat> it's a bit odd that the time to crime has gone back up. Um, you know, it's been decreasing, like he said, for, for a while. And it is troubling because it means that uh, firearms are making their way into the criminal market faster than they used to. Um, and, you know, trying to law enforcement, trying to figure out why that is, is going to be, I think, a very important thing. But at the same time, it also that phenomenon reversed a little bit in 2022. It'll be interesting to see if that continues, because obviously, you know, a lot of the context here is that there's a huge buying wave in 2020, 2021. So you had a lot of new guns on the market and at least some of them ended up uh getting the crime scenes faster. Presumably, we're talking about averages here, so we don't, like he mentions in the piece, you don't know exactly like how many guns are one or two years old, but if the average is going down, it presumably means that more of them being traced are uh, newer firearms. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, there's, it raises a lot of questions, certainly. It doesn't give you a ton of answers, unfortunately. As he notes, you know, it's not like a super simple takeaway from all this. Even the the breakdown of, uh, you know, source guns or whatever is not straight uh, red and blue uh, based on the gun laws in each state. Um, so it would be, I think, interesting. Maybe we'll have to have him on and go through some of the numbers and how he interprets them. But, uh, you know, the biggest takeaways to me were that. Crime, there are a lot more crime guns than there were 
10 years ago, at least there's a lot more traces. And that could also just be more capacity at the ATF to do traces. It's it's hard exactly to say. Um, uh, You would think it's more that they are recovering more firearms, but um, they don't they don't give you that information in the report as far as I can tell. And, um, and then, you know, the, the decrease in time to crime, because yeah, if you're getting from 10 years to like six years, something is, is occurring where criminals are able to get guns from the legal market faster than they used to. Um, or, you know, and there's also averages versus, you know, how, how you look at the data is an average, the right, approach for that to figure out, you know, how many new, new guns are, are making it to the, to the, to the criminal market faster. But, but either way, I think the, the broad overview is, is that, you know, time of crime has gone a little bit back up. So um, I guess maybe there's fewer new guns making it into the market than there were in 2020 and 2021. I, I, that's, I guess, but the down, the long-term trend is, is a bad one. Absolutely. Uh, and then the last story we're going to talk about is one that we actually covered. Uh, New York City is back in the news again for uh, a law being struck down as unconstitutional. And it's very similar to the law that the Supreme Court actually nixed in Bruin uh, for their purchase permits. They had a or they had what was a good moral character or good cause requirement for folks that were applying to possess both long guns and handguns in the city. And uh, this individual that challenged this law had a pretty extensive history of traffic violations, and he had two previous arrests back in the 90s that were, you know, no charges came about, or no, uh, he never served anything, they were dismissed. Uh, But he was denied uh, multiple times for possession permits because of that, because they said he lacked good moral character. And a federal judge just said that that was unconstitutional. Yeah, I don't know if any listeners have maybe heard this story before. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it's basically identical to the Bruin. Right. Right. I mean, these are, you're talking about the same exact concept at play. Uh, now, this is New York City instead of New York State. But, but yeah, you're basically denying people uh, uh, the ability to buy a gun because uh, an official, a government official decides that they don't have a good reason. Um, and that can mean anything the government official wants it to basically in this case it's this guy's a bad driver i mean he seems to be a, quite a bad driver right <laughs> <to> be fair. <laughs> um with the number of like license suspensions he's <laughs> racked up over the years but you know uh, and then they they list his arrests the i don't i don't know how you can even put something like that. these are arrests where no convictions happen. He was, the charges were dismissed. It's not, how can it even be considered part of his record for this is, is an, as you would think would be a big, like concern for any civil libertarian. Like it's okay. You're arrested for something, but if you're not convicted of that thing, uh, or you don't have some sort of plea deal that puts it in your permanent record or something, it's, I don't even know how you can bring that up as part of your evaluation for, whether somebody can um, exercise a, a constitutionally protected right by buying, you know, a firearm. Um, so, yeah, it's not surprising that this law got struck down. If anything, it's a little surprising that they bothered to continue to enforce this instead of try, just trying to pass something else that might have some chance of standing up in court. Because it's just one of those things where you, like you're just doing exactly the same thing as what the course, at least these, you know, we've talked a lot about these broom response laws, right? And how 
they sure don't seem like they're going to stand up to judicial scrutiny uh, because they, in so many different ways, they violate the letter and, and heart of the Bruin ruling by just trying to make it so people can't actually carry guns. But at least they're doing it in some different way from what the court directly ruled on, right? Like, uh, you know, they're trying to use sensitive places and just be extremely expansive about it. Even, I mean, no, the court did say you can't do that, but they haven't specifically talked about every sensitive place that uh, these new laws apply to. So uh, in this case, it's like, yeah, the good reason clause, that's exactly what they thought was wrong with with New York's gun carry regime. Like this is this, this is exactly the same thing. Um, it's just applied to gun ownership instead of gun carry, which, you know, might be even more protected in the eyes of some justices, I would, I think. But um, regardless, yeah, it didn't work. And it's just another one of these phenomenons of, of lawmakers being willing to throw money away, chasing these cases for political reasons, it seems like, because they just have no chance of winning this, honestly. I mean, you can't deny someone their Second Amendment rights because they have parking violations or, you know, traffic violations or whatever, unless it leads to a serious felony or something. This guy hasn't doesn't have anything like that. Um, so... One thing that um, I think is interesting, too, you, you mentioned, you know, it's similar to Bruin and the Bruin response bills have kind of been a little craftier, you might say, in their ways to a little bit, at least a little bit minorly. (laughs) But good moral character you have seen come up in a lot of these ruin response bills. That was sort of the whole background with New York's like you have to give your social media accounts to the application officer and that sort of thing was they they were getting at very similar things. And I believe California and Massachusetts also have a a similar good moral now I don't think they articulate exactly what that means to have good moral character, but that could very well end up getting them in hot waters like like you see with this judge. Yeah, that's a fair point. That hasn't been the focus of a lot of these laws, but right. they, it's mostly been they the do have, places. But yeah, they do have some of these good, good moral character things. They tend to be a little more expansive, yeah, than um, than what this New York City one was. But but uh, but yeah, I mean that's a fair point. Uh, and and it's just it's just part of this trend of disregarding what's going to happen in court and ignoring strategic litigating. Like this is the thing. Like I, I you can understand that. These lawmakers and and, the, and I'm sure a lot of voters as well in these areas just don't like what the Supreme Court has ruled. Um, but the, it seems like the worst possible strategy to, strategy to just try and ignore it um, right. and do whatever you want. Like, it, yeah. it just seems like you'd be better off trying to come up with some alternative strategy to deal with this situation instead of just we're going to pass this stuff anyway <laughs> and, right. and pay money to defend it when we're going to lose. I don't know. Seems odd, but yeah. uh, we'll keep following it, of course, to uh, see how it all plays out. Whether it may, maybe we're wrong, maybe they'll somehow this will all stand in court. Well, at the end of the day, I, I <laughs> would I would bet anything against that. But um, yeah, you never know. Anyway, uh, that's all we've got for this week. So if you guys appreciate this sort of reporting and you want to support it, you can head on over to the reload.com and buy a membership today. Of course, you will also get access to hundreds of pieces of exclusive analysis and stories that you won't find anywhere else, including Jake's piece that we discussed on the show today. Um, And you'll also get this show 
a day early. You'll get access a day early. You'll have the opportunity to appear on the show in a member segment. Uh, and you'll also have commenting privileges on the website. You'll, uh, you'll get an extra newsletter every Sunday that gives you a deeper look at the issues of, of the week um, and keeps you up to date on what is going on with guns in America. So we will see you guys again real soon.